Live from Mexico City, this is The Late Late Show with Rich Wrigley. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to The Late Late Show with me, Rich Wrigley. This evening, we're going to be talking about field trips and how to avoid disastrous field trips occurring, basically. I'll be sharing my experience uh, of a few field trips and then, yeah, enjoy The Late Late Show this evening. Live from Mexico City, this is The Late Late Show with Rich Wrigley on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, I got my transitions wrong there. Sorry about that. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to The Late Late Show with me, Rich Wrigley, this evening. This evening, we're going to be talking about how to avoid disastrous field trips. Uh, I'll be sharing some of my experiences of uh, Duke of Edinburgh Awards, field trips to uh, physics-type Olympiads uh, across different countries and from an international setting. I'd love to hear from you some of the best field trips you've had some of the worst field trips and why uh, please do text in and also any questions about uh, field like sending students on field trips abroad and how it differs from the UK so anyway welcome to the late late show our topic today is uh, disastrous field trips and uh, someone's already just texted in say i once had once lost a parent helper in a maze amazing hey see what i did there hey <laughs> So anyway, uh, the idea for this show for today's theme came from uh, a headline I saw about four days ago from the BBC website where it says a school has been fined £30,000 for taking a group of teenage pupils on a dangerous mountain hike. Uh, I'm not going to name the school, uh, but you can easily find it on the BBC website, but I'm not going to name the school because you know, I don't think that's proper. But anyway, staff from the school in question led uh, 13 boys up Helvellyn in the Lake District in 2020 in uh, snowy and icy conditions. And it goes on to say a mountain rescue team eventually found the group in darkness and led them to safety after one boy slipped on ice and another had become separated. The school said mistakes were made that's a bit of an understatement. And health and safety had improved. Uh, the court uh, involved uh, heard some of the boys were in shoes and trainers. Now, as someone who does a lot with mountain leadership, Duke of Edinburgh Awards, expeditions, and I'll talk about some of my experiences of them. First off, any trip, I'm sorry, but any trip to Helvellyn, which has an altitude of 900 meters, you've got to take it seriously. Uh, but also, come on now, this is you need like this is basic stuff. Like I would tell walking boots before you can get on the on the trip, not trainers. That's ridiculous. Proper waterproof clothes, proper hiking conditions and things like that. Anyway, it goes on to say there was a group of year 10 pupils. So students age 14 and 15 were on an organized trip led by a teacher and a teaching assistant. Before setting off, supervisors uh, reviewed the Lake District weather report which stressed the dangers of ascending above the snow line but decided to press ahead. The adults had no formal qualifications in mountain leadership or experience in wintry conditions and were relying on a smartphone app for guidance. This just boggles my mind, relying on a smartphone app for guidance. 
Now, I go hiking a lot. I, I live in Mexico City, as you probably heard from the introduction. There are a lot of mountains around this area. In fact, one of the weekend hikes that I love to do is a mountain called Ajusco. Uh, it's about the same elevation different distance as, um, or the elevation increase, I should say, as the Helvellyn Mountain in question. Um, but we start off at already 3,300 meters above sea level at that start at your starting point, basically. So already there is a risk of altitude sickness. We do need to take that into consideration. I would never take people up there who are unfit. I would look at the weather reports the following day uh, or the, on the morning and check it. As I actually drive to where the starting point is, I can see the mountain. I can look at the weather reports as well. And if it's too dangerous, I won't. I won't go up there. I've called off days and things like that. And that's just for my own, you know, having a bit of fun doing some hiking and things. But then we get up to uh, 3,960 3, meters, so nearly 4,000 meters above sea level at the summit. So it's pretty, pretty heavy going, but we're prepared for it. That's the thing that really bugs me. And so, like, when I'm hiking these things, yes, I do actually have a smartphone app that I would use, but I won't rely on it because I know I won't get signal. So I always have a map of where I'm from, uh, where I'm not where I'm from, a map of the area. And sadly, and this is absolutely criminal as well from the, well, literally absolutely criminal from the school in question, because the UK has such fantastic ordnance survey maps and really good guides that there's absolutely no excuse for not bringing a map and a compass. That's absolutely bonkers and outrageous. Uh, where I'm from, uh, wh where I am at the moment, we don't have as good maps. The trails are very straightforward. It's very hard to get lost. Uh, but we do have some maps that we have to print out from things like all trails and things like that. And that's actually one of the bigger issues that you have when you're doing things like the International Duke of Edinburgh Award online, or not online, I should say. <laughs> I'm so used to being online. When you're doing the Duke of Edinburgh International Award abroad, it's actually getting good quality maps. But here, there's absolutely no excuse. And basically, every time I was reading this article, I was cringing. Not proper, not proper equipment for the students, inexperienced guides. I don't think you necessarily need to have a mountain leadership qualification, but I would definitely check that up with the school if, if you were following that, because I haven't really led many expeditions in the UK. But you definitely need to know someone who knows the area. What I would do if I was leading that trip uh, would first be actually go and hike it myself, uh, hike it myself on a weekend or with someone else uh, in tow as well so that they knew where they were going. But yes, it continues to say after the saying the adults had no formal qualifications that during the ascent, the last two members of the public warned the teaching staff to turn back, but they carried on and reached the 950 meter summit. OK, however, as they made their descent, uh, as they made their descent, they lost their way and ended up on a steep terrain, which included vertical rock faces with drops of 20 meters. Uh, the court was told. One of the boys fell several meters on ice and sustained minor cuts. Another teenager panicked and ran off and was eventually guided down by the member of a public. So again, this just sounds like these students weren't prepared because sometimes things can go wrong. And like, even if you're the best, you know, in the best prepared situation, sometimes things can go wrong. But what really bugs me here is that it was clearly no prior planning of this, which led to just absolutely you know, pandemonium, literally. The group were found eventually after dark by the Keswick Mountain Rescue Team who cut steps in the snow to get them back on the path. Again, this is another thing that really bugs me because if, well, first off, where, where, I'm, where I hike in Mexico, there isn't mountain rescue or, or you're going to be lucky to get mountain rescue. So you really have to know what you're doing. But also this, this mountain rescue team, first off, that's funding 
or you know equipment and time and resources that could be used to save someone else who had a legitimate accident but also um it's it's just taking time away from their, their and putting other people at risk those mountain rescuers in needless risk uh it was ordered to pay damages and things like that so that that's where i'm not going to read out the full article to you but that really really bugs me and it just kind of puts into context how important i know we all hate doing uh, risk assessments health and safety forms and things like that but there is a reason for doing this and as michelle just texted in it says a pre-tip visit uh, without the students is a good idea it's absolutely essential it's also really good fun <laughs> that's some of the best bit some of the best ex expeditions i've done are just with like some other teachers who you know happen to be good mates of mine and then we just go off and do it anyway you know like it's really really good fun really nice to be out you know it's not work yes you are giving up your you know saturday or sunday or maybe both to do it but it's not work in that respect because it's what i like doing that's why i've signed up to do these kind of things so so anyway on the show tonight i'll be talking to you about a few of my sort of not horror stories of uh of outdoor education or field trips and i was going to talk about a few different types of field trips to start off with i'll talk about uh the international uh, duke of edinburgh award uh, which is one of the things that I'm not a coordinator for, but I am an assessor and I'm also an award leader, I believe it's called now. I haven't done it in, sadly, because of COVID, I've not done it in uh, about a year and a half now, sadly, which is a real bummer. But basically, I've worked at schools in Germany, Brazil and Mexico. And in all of those countries, I've helped in some way the international award at that school that I was working at. In I first got into it in... Uh, about five or six years ago when I was working in Brazil and that's where I got a lot of my experience with leading expeditions and things like that and so what we would do in Brazil was um, it was we all of our students were enrolled on the bronze award in year 10 and for those of you who don't know the international award it's the Duke of Edinburgh international award is is practically identical to the Duke of Edinburgh award the D of E um, but I'll give you a little sort of summary of what it entails for the bronze award that's open to students from 14 years of age and they have to do three months of a sport of some kind uh, or some kind of physical activity three months of a social service of some kind uh, and three months of a skill of some kind that could be uh anything i i remember when i did it myself my skill was what was my skill oh my skill was circus skills there we go <laughs> so my skill was circus skills but it could be anything it could be creative writing it could be an art project photography you get the idea so three months of those uh for each of those as a minimum and then the area that you're most interested in, you actually do for six months. So two of them you do for three months and one you do for six months. On top of that, you have to do a one overnight camping residential, basically, sort of like an expedition, it's called. So basically, in the UK, they give you a certain distance that you have to travel, but I'll explain. We don't really follow that rule so much. Uh, you have to show navigation skills uh, and you have to camp wild camping for a night or actually you can do um campsite camping but camping for one night and then hiking for the following day uh then you can progress up to things like the silver and the gold award and basically everything increases in not difficulty but the amount of commitment you have to put to it so when you do the silver award the expedition becomes two nights of camping uh three days of expedition uh for the and the um 
the service, the sports criteria, or the physical fitness criteria, uh, and the uh, skills criteria you have to do for six months, I believe, and things like that. It goes up a little bit more. And then for the gold award, they have to do all of that almost on steroids. I think it's three nights, three nights of camping. Uh, four days of expedition, longer times to do the service, the uh, physical activity and the skill. And you also have to do a residential kind of volunteer project, basically. But that gives you the idea. Uh, I would supervise. Primarily, I was responsible for in Brazil a lot of the year 10s because all of our year 10s were responsible for it. And they would uh, or were signed up to it and had to opt out. And what we would do in the expedition would be do two things. We would do a practice expedition where we would try out the routes and things like that. And then we would do a basic uh sorry an assessed qualifier basically where they had to show certain amounts of of skill uh, certain amounts of competencies in certain areas now where it differs from different uh from the or where it differs from the duke of edinburgh regular award or the uk award is that for example where we where we are in brazil we don't have ordinance well we were in brazil we don't have ordinance survey maps for example um we had to rely on old military maps from the military dictatorship in the 70s and because the maps were out of date and obviously a lot of the teachers half of the teachers were brazilian i would say that went on the trip but the other half were were foreigners uh we also had uh, an outdoor sort of like an outward bound company essentially that would act as guides for us and the the coordinators or the people responsible managing the the award in the uk would i'm oh, sorry in in the school would go on like recce expeditions with them and things like that in different places but doing the international award outside of the uk is very different to how or doing the expedition is very different compared to what you would expect in the uk um in the uk i know and a lot of teachers got a bit of a shock with this teachers who have come out from the uk and want to do the international award they are like yeah sure i'm happy to sit in the bus and meet them at the checkpoint and things like that and there's kind of this expedition idea that you're not actually going to hike the route yourself uh but you'll be at a certain checkpoint now in brazil we just couldn't do that because First off, we were walking through private property uh, sometimes, so we had to explain to certain farmers and things like that what we were doing there with a bunch of students. Um, but also, there were no real spaces for checkpoints. So what we would have to do is let the students each like basically each walking group or hiking group would be about five people or so. Uh, I think it was four to eight is the rule, but generally it was about five or six people. And those five or six uh, students would have to navigate the route themselves, but with them pretty much at all times, but hanging back by about 100 meters, 200 meters. So we they couldn't see us, but they knew they we were there, would be a teacher and also uh, a guide from the Outward Bound company that we used, um, which was really great as well. We actually got to know our, our guides really, really well. Uh, as like teachers that continually did the Duke of Edinburgh expeditions, we actually became quite good mates with them and we would hang out with them quite often as well. They were a really, really good bunch of people. Um, but the reason we had to do that was A, so that we didn't upset any farmers. We were accidentally, you know, walking through their farm. We'd already explained what we were doing, but just to keep people happy. But there are other reasons as well. So, for example, where we were hiking uh, for the Bronze Award, in Brazil is in a state called Minas Gerais. Sadly, uh, it's in the news right now because it was the area that was very heavily flooded or one of the areas that's always very heavily flooded and there was a lot of damage created. But there are some beautiful hills in woodland. It's it's sub it's subtropical 
Atlantic forest, regular forest. It's absolutely beautiful, but it's very, very hilly. The conditions are very warm. They're not like jungle levels warm, but temperatures will get up to 20 degrees in the day or to maybe even 25 and you'll feel it. It will be warm. So we had to make sure we were with the students the whole time, just hanging back to make sure that they were, oops, excuse me, I'm just knocked over my bag over there. Excellent foley rope there, Rich. Um, we had to make sure that we were with them the whole time just in case anything went wrong or if they went lost because the maps were not of good enough quality to really navigate your way out. And we've had students walking in the complete opposite direction. And what we would do is we would watch them do that, take the wrong turn, watch them make a mistake, and then we'd have to chase after them after about 10, 15 minutes. We literally have to run after them and we would be expected to carry all our gear as well. So a lot of foreign or UK teachers, sorry, I'm saying foreign teachers, they are foreign teachers in Brazil, but a lot of foreign foreigners coming over were completely particularly uk teachers were particularly shocked that they would be expected to walk the full trail and to wild camp the full trail as well so it's definitely something that's very different to the uk um it's there are a lot of dangers as well <laughs> where we are so we have to be careful obviously i've already mentioned like strangers and things like that but also uh more often than not in the areas that we were going we would see um uh snakes venomous snakes as well uh, just sitting on the trail and all of the walking groups would be setting off in staggered sort of groups and the guides as well as the uh, teachers would have walkie-talkie radios with each other so basically you would hear down the line like someone going hey nascucha do you hear me excuse my terrible um portuguese there basically yep yeah, there's a snake on the path uh yep yeah, just hold back for a second we're gonna wait for the snake to go and you couldn't do anything the snake was just there chilling out on the path and you would not you know obviously only a moron would go up and try and move move the thing so you just have to wait for it to go but then you'd have to warn the other groups as well and we had to do teach the kids how to do sort of tricks with that as well like making sure they're stamping their foot really heavily so that the vibrations sort of annoy the snake obviously from far away not go up to the snake and stamp on it that would be bonkers but you know what i mean uh, the other situation we had once was we checked the weather reports but it's mountain weather and the weather can change very quickly and after the first day on our, one of our practice expeditions, um, we uh, we were going to camp essentially at the top of the mountain. It was a nice, really sort of uh, sort of flat area, and it was a similar height to this Helvellyn mountain that uh, that was mentioned in the news earlier. So about eight hundred meters above sea level, not altitude range, not altitude sickness range by any means, but definitely high up, and it was the most exposed area of um, of the sort of area. The most exposed area of the most exposed area of the mountain range, essentially. And what happened was, um, we could see the clouds coming in, and we noticed as we would just got down, everyone's packs had been set up, tents. The students had put their tents up. Students were starting to cook dinner, and it was around like eight o'clock in the evening or something like no, about seven o'clock in the evening or something like that, and. We just noticed there was still a little bit of light. We noticed there was an English teacher who had blonde hair and we noticed her hair, even though it was in a ponytail, her hair started to stand up on end quite a lot. And my heart just sank because I'm a physics teacher and I know what was about to happen. <laughs> so some, when someone's hair standing up on end, that means that they're in an electric field and the only possible electric field in this case could be the possibility of a thunderstorm. Um, so... We already trained for this and prepared for this. We actually did a training session with the students the follow the day before, just in case. Again, pre-prepared, very important. But what happened was um, 
one of the guys goes noticed like arm hair was sticking off on him he goes okay uh we're gonna have to get into lightning positions <laughs> and my heart absolutely sank i was like oh god i don't want to be found like this struck by lightning on top of a on top of a mountain with a bunch of students that's not how i want to go but basically if you're ever in this situation, what we had to do was the students had already put their tents up, which was great. So we told them to sit inside of their tents, get their roll mats out, uh, put their roll mats out and then put their backpack on top of their roll mats, their sleeping pads, and then sit on top of their sleep, sit directly on top of their backpacks without their feet or their, their feet or their hands touching the ground. They had to be like touching the only the, uh, the backpack. The idea for that is that this is basically how the guy told me if you get hit by a gra uh, a strike from above you're done there's no that you're going to get hit and i was like oh well, that's lovely so why are we sat on the mats exactly and it's because lightning also comes up from the ground um so because lightning also comes up from the ground we call it a ground a ground strike i think this will by sitting on a layer of you know your sleeping mat your backpack and everything like that you are adding an insulated layer and the lightning is not going to flow through you it's going to go around you to some point okay or avoid you so anyway we spent about 10-15 minutes me and the other teachers walking around pre-lightning storm every time i tell my wife this she stresses out so much uh pre-light pre-possible lightning strike to make sure all the students were on the ground or like in their lightning positions ready to go and then we got into lightning positions under a big tarp with um that was already put up with the guides and things like that thankfully there was actually no lightning that passed the storm actually passed over us but it did get a little bit hairy at one point now that's something that we planned for that we checked the weather conditions in the morning we kept hiking everything was good but the weather just turned on a six month because it's the mountains mountain weather can change really really quickly so we were just very unlucky we were very lucky though that we didn't actually have a lightning strike um we didn't actually see any thunder for some reason i must have just dissipated over time it was the build-up wasn't that big uh thankfully but yeah so that is an example of just how really terrible plan well how really good planning can still put you in a situation but if you're planned we told the students what to do already. We already told them what they needed to do. We planned for it the day before, and there was no fuss. The students found it a bit funny towards the end of it. You know, to, it was a good story. It was a really nice, a funny story for them to tell. And we reported it, obviously, straight away, just to let you know that, you know, as soon as we got back, just to let you know this happened, but we did this, 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 and everything was okay. All the parents were happy as well. Okay. Anyway, we're going to pause there briefly uh, to listen to the news, uh, to some commercial breaks, and also to our two-minute tech talk. So here we go. Oh, my God. I'm having a nightmare with my... Uh... Oh, I'm so sorry. Why is it not working? This sucks. Oh, I'm so sorry. Let's see if I can get this working. No, why is it not working? Okay, well, we'll try and get to the news in a second. I have no idea what's happening there. Let's just do that. I just want to play you. Let me play. 
Why is that not working? I have no idea why that's not working. I'm so sorry. This was so professional up until this point, and then it's all gone to pot. Let me just try a little bit as we're going along. Sorry, you're going to hear my clicking, uh, but we'll just do that as we're going along. Let's add that. Here we go. Come on. Why is it not working? Oh my god, no! Okay, and you're just gonna have to listen to me for a second, just talk about this and stuff. Uh, so yeah, that was like the last. So that was my first sort of experience with the Duke of Edinburgh. We'll pause for apologies for the technical difficulties. There, I have no idea what happened. I tested it earlier. It always happens. It's stuff's law, isn't it? Anyway, yeah. So we talked about like that. Uh, we talked about like, lightning positions, which are my favourite story to tell. Um, I've also done some training and things like that as well. The training, if you can get on a training course for the Duke of Edinburgh, is International Duke of Edinburgh, it is absolutely fantastic. There is a lot of faff talking about logbooks and things like that because the International Duke of Edinburgh is super keen on logbooks and all of these kind of boring things. Uh, but they also give you some training and the opportunity to... Um, uh, do some like mini hikes basically uh, to sort of just test the, your skills out and things like that. Re not, nothing like a mountain leadership course or anything like that. But one of the things that we used to do, uh, for example, when I was very fortunate, I mean, in, in Brazil, was I was able to fly to, for, I was teaching in Sao Paulo, but I was able to fly to, Rio, excuse me, Rio de Janeiro or Rio de Janeiro uh, the week before carnival. So it was a massive party atmosphere where we had a training course in another school run by the International Award. Uh, and basically, we learned a lot of stuff about how to assess the students and all of this kind of thing. Um, but then after that, we... Um, we were doing some expeditions in the forests of Rio de Janeiro, which was absolutely stunning. Uh, it was absolutely amazing. Very, very hot. It was 30 degrees. Uh, one teacher from another school came out in jeans, even though we told them specifically not to, uh, and Converse shoes, and they absolutely melted. It was bonkers. I don't know why they did that. Um, for example, I was out in uh, running shorts and a running t-shirt and my backpack. I just had a day pack with me, but uh, <laughs> I, I took like three liters of water just to be on the safe side because I knew someone else would forget things. I took my GPS just in case. Um, so you would be surprised how unprepared some teachers are for that. But yeah, that was absolutely fantastic. I was supposed to, as well at the same time for my current school, I needed to redo my training. I was supposed to go to Peru for a training course in the Americas, so fly from Mexico to Peru. Um, but this was in April of 2020, or it was planned to happen in April of 2020. Um, yeah, um, literally as soon as we made the bookings, but it was me and two other people in the school, literally as soon as we made the booking, the following day they said the event's cancelled and you're going to have to cancel your flights because of COVID. Oh, it was, it was heartbreaking. And I, I did do it eventually, but it was online, which wasn't as fun. <laughs> but yeah, that is absolutely fantastic. Well, that leads me as well uh to teaching in or to like doing the award in uh brazil and what i've been able to do there let me just see if we can play that news again because i have no idea why it's not working oh, this is just going to be clicking for two minutes let me get let's see if this works talk among oh my god why is it not working this is so frustrating i'm so sorry everyone i'm just like all you can hear is just the frantic clicking of a frustrated teacher's talk radio host let's see if we can do it here 
Let's see if I can do reload. Nope, never mind. Okay, don't know why that's not working. I'm so sorry. I wanted to show you the news. I wanted to show you the two-minute tech talk. <sighs> but we're going to have to leave it there, I'm afraid. Well, not leave it there. Leave it there for the news right now. Anyway, so yeah, to talk about what we're doing right now in the International Award, the school I'm at, uh, we've just, well, we introduced it literally uh, the academic year of 2019 to 2020. So you can see where this was going. We were very, very fortunate that we were able to do the practice expedition and the final expedition all in one go, because it was a week-long trip where they would do one and then the other, uh, a week-long trip. Uh, and we were very, very lucky because we got to go to Costa Rica as well. Um, a lot of the students thought it was kind of like a, a fun trip and didn't realize it was year 10 students again. A lot of them thought it was just going to be a jolly to Costa Rica. So they got a little bit of a shock when they were told they had to hike. Um, but I've never seen a change in a year group so quickly. Um, this year group, uh, when I first, uh, this was my first year teaching them as well. They're so they were year when they were year 10. So this was about two, three years ago. They, they had a reputation, let's put it this way, and by reputation in, in an international school, it means a little bit chatty and a little bit cheeky every now and then. They would be considered in my in the UK state schools that I taught in the Goodyear group, which I hate that kind of term, the Goodyear group and the Badyear group. But you understand what I'm saying. They had a little bit of a reputation, they were a little bit cheeky, um, but they were so tough during the costa rica expedition so what we did was it was a full week we flew from mexico city to costa rica and we worked with outward bound which is actually set up by or established by the same um person who established the duke of edinburgh award not the duke of edinburgh but the person who oh, i can't remember his name but the person who sort of mentored the duke of edinburgh in a similar thing he was the principal of the duke of edinburgh school in gordonston uh, so similar, Kurt Hahn is his name. There we go. So the Outward Bound was founded by Kurt Hahn as well. Similar philosophy to the Duke of Edinburgh. And there was a, a an Outward Bound organization that primarily had students from Costa Rica, but also students from the States, from other parts of Latin America, from Central America and things like that as well, that would come in and do expeditions with them. We had them for a week or we were, you know, they worked with us for a week. And in that time, we would have like a couple of days of training when they first arrived because our students are city kids and they had no idea how to put up a tent. It was hilarious. They had no idea how to safely use a stove. Again, hilarious. They had no idea how to uh, cook food for themselves, some of them, um, all of these kind of things. Uh, and we would do a couple of days training with them. Then we would do the practice expedition, which would last uh, two days. We'd have like a day off, for, so not a day off, but a day of you know, doing fun stuff. We went to a zip lining place, for example, did some like fun, fun activities and things like that. And then we had a final day of an expedition doing a different route. So we would hike around the same area, but it would be a different route um, in this case. And it was absolutely fantastic. Again, it was quite a high altitude this time. We actually got up to, we camped on the top of a mountain for, for both the practice and for the final expedition. Uh, and, or we planned to hike uh, camp on the practice expedition but i'll get to that in a second um but after that what we did was i'm sorry uh we cut, like hiked on the top of a mountain and things like that it was absolutely fantastic and they took a week to do this uh we checked the weather reports the whole time but sometimes things can go wrong as well uh this time we let the students go off by themselves a little bit more 
not like in Brazil, different school, different safety as well. Costa Rica, a lot safer than other areas in Brazil and things like that. But we knew the route that they were going on. And we also had something absolutely fantastic for both times. We had a GPS tracker and we didn't tag them. But basically what we had was it was kind of like the the thing that Apple's brought out, uh, the Apple tags or whatever they're called. Very similar to that, but obviously a couple of years older. Just like a GPS tag and one student would be responsible for turning it on in the morning. Uh, we would check that it was turned on and then they would leave it on the whole time. We also gave them a uh, walkie-talkie. We gave them a walkie-talkie, but only in emergencies. We also gave them a phone because it had some cell reception with a SIM card in, a Costa Rican SIM card in that they could use for emergencies as well. And that's how we were communicating with each other as well in our different groups by radio, but also by using WhatsApp and our, our SIM coverage and things like that. And the practice expedition was actually raining in Costa Rica during the dry season. We were ridiculously unlucky again i think i'm a jinx maybe i'm a jinx lightning strikes rain during the dry season i don't know anyway so in this case we had to essentially abandon the practice expedition after the first day because it was raining so much that the conditions got so muddy like we're talking about like you know water levels you know where your feet sink into the mud that it just wouldn't be safe to continue the expedition so again well planned out our coordinator made the call called it off and we made sure we got all of the kids back to our camping point we camped indoors we were going to camp outside but basically we had it's like a community center essentially we were going to camp outside of the community center but instead we camped inside overnight but you know to give the students the experience we told them to put up their tents we told them to sort of you know even though it was indoors put up your tent so you got some privacy and things like that as you as you're going along and then we cooked uh like in this community center, there were kitchens. So we cooked the meal inside of the kitchens instead. It was a practice expedition in that case. It's not the end of the world. These things happen. Luckily, we were able to camp properly for the final expedition. Um, but one of the groups that were with me, we were all of the teachers were at different checkpoints. So I was basically standing by a cow shed, which was full of cows. And it was absolutely chucking it down with rain. Uh, uh, and a group found me and obviously I knew that we were going to call off the expedition so while we waited to be picked up by the minibus uh, we waited in the cow shed, which was actually a cow milking shed the farmer let us in, which is absolutely fantastic hilarious, we just basically <laughs> sorry, someone else has just texted in to say then you go home to three storms in three days well luckily as well I'm <laughs> I mean, like here, it's pretty dry at the moment. Here, I teach in Mexico, so we came home to Mexico, and it was it was very dry. But yes, uh, it was. We were just super thankful that for the following days, it was clear, uh, well, clear-ish, and it wasn't raining. But I just don't, I couldn't believe our luck that it was uh, uh, three storms in three days. It was a bit bonkers. Uh, anyway, so yeah, that's what, that was what what happened basically. Um, it was a great expedition. We're hoping to go back. We were planning to go back this, ac well, last academic year or this academic year. But, you know, COVID, it's just, it's not doable. That, like, I, that was like my last normal teaching experience that I remember. We did it in January of 2020. And I then remember, you know, things getting progressively worse over time, essentially. Um but yeah, uh, <laughs> that was my last normal experience and we've just not been able to go back since. So that was, that was doing the Duke of Edinburgh in Brazil as well. Please do text in with your horror stories, your fun stories about, uh, about, come on, say, I'm, about, I'm switching to Spanish as well, about 
uh, field trips and everything like that. I've got a few others. My first, there's a couple of other things I'd like to do. These are more like physics related that I love to repeat. Uh, the first one I'll talk about is when I was in Germany, and that is the trip I organized to CERN. Uh, so obviously, for those of you who don't know, CERN uh, is where the Large Hadron Collider is. It's a big particle accelerator, uh, does a lot of research into nuclear physics and all of these kind of things. I'm sure you know what CERN is anyway. It's uh, it's based primarily in just outside of Geneva. Uh, the particle accelerators actually go into France, um, but all of the sort of like the science or the base all of the sort of control centers, for want of a better word, are based inside of one campus, a very large campus that is in just outside of Geneva. Um, and this was a completely different field trip to what I'm used to. So this was coming from Germany, or sorry, coming from teaching in Brazil, uh, having taught in Mexico previously, uh, to coming to Germany where children are have a lot more safety <laughs> and are able to sort of just go off and do their own thing. Uh, and so what we did was we would plan a, uh, a school trip that lasted, how long did it last? I think it was three or four days. I can't remember, but it lasted three or four days. And we would go to CERN for one day, see all the cool things, uh, go to the United Nations one other day, do some fun things the other day and uh, other days and things like that. Um, at an absolutely different kind of, field trip experience for me have bearing in mind that i'd just come from brazil and you know i would have to watch the students to make sure they didn't get bitten by snakes in brazil uh the field trips in cern it's a lot more like a field trip that i remember as a student myself um yes you would do you know we would do organized trips so for example we do organized trips to united nations organized trips to uh, cern obviously and other places museums and things like that as well uh, but the thing i found really different was did i find sorry complex just texted in to say did i find the god particle uh no it had already been discovered we'd already it was just after the higgs boson had been discovered not after about four years after the higgs boson had been discovered but my proudest moment is having a selfie in the lecture theater where uh, peter higgs announced uh that or they did they confirmed the discovery of the higgs boson so that was pretty cool um sadly during the cern trip the for about six months of the year, most of the particle accelerators are turned off because they're under maintenance. So we couldn't go into deep down and see the particle accelerators because uh, at this time they were actually being turned on and firing. But it meant that we could go into the control room and see the controls, which was really, really cool. Um, they do a lot of cool lectures and things like that as well. A lot of interactive stuff. There's the CERN Summer School as well. Uh, which is for teachers and for educators as well. A lot of people, you can just sort of sign up and try and get a load of cool uh, sort of teaching resources and ideas as well. Uh, you just have to pay for your own board and log lodging. What I found the most difficult was coming from Brazil where there was a lot of level of freedom to go somewhere where there was no freedom. Well, no, where there was not much freedom for the students. How can I phrase that? In terms of safety, they couldn't just wander off. We had to make sure that we knew where they were the whole time having to let go of that anxiety about where's a student, where's a student, where's a student, because in Geneva, <laughs> it's Geneva, it's super safe. And the youngest student that we took was 16. Yeah, it was 16, it was a sixth form trip. Uh, so the hardest thing we had to do was like, right, okay, you know, you've got some free time, we're in this city, part of the city, uh, don't go any further than this, this and this, but go and get some, you know, go and get a snack, go get some souvenirs. You've got an hour, you've got an hour and a half or something. We'll see you in a bit. And me and the other teacher that were on board would go and have a, you know, some food or a pizza or something like that. That was the most stressful time 
of a field trip for me because I am used to watching students the whole time because you just have to do it in Latin America because of safety. Um, so for me, I was just there very tense. And the other teacher was like, Rich, you okay? What's the matter? And I was like, oh, are they going to be okay? Yeah, of course they're going to be okay. It's like, are you sure? Yeah, they'll be fine. They've got our phone numbers. They've got the work, you know, they've got our school phone numbers. No, oh, someone just texted in La Hoka. They didn't. And that's because my, my students were so bad at being bad. They didn't. <laughs> also, I think the legal age for drinking in, in, uh, in Switzerland was, I think they were the oldest age was 18 and they had to be ID'd and they all had to. So they, no, they were all really, really good. Um, we had one stu or two students wander off for longer than expected because they were buying a souvenir. And that was the only sort of stressful bit because they just basically were, you know, they, we told them to come back at a certain time and they showed up like 45 minutes late and we would all plan, you know, like we were supposed to all go and get like fondue or something like that. And some other, you know, go to a nice restaurant or something after that. Um, but, but no, they were really, really well behaved. I'm, I'm really impressed. I, this is the great thing about teaching in international schools. I'm sure it's not the same across all of all schools, but they were absolutely good. Um, but I will talk about uh, the first field trip, I did this twice, first field trip that I was involved of when I was a newly qualified teacher. And that was a field trip with six form students from the UK to compete in Russia in something called the International Space Olympics. I don't know if it's going on anymore, um, but if it is, it's an absolutely fantastic uh, experience for them. Thinking of it, it's probably not going on right now because it's in Russia. And... Yeah, you know what I'm going to say. So uh, so I'm going to try it. Just in case Putin's listening. Hi, don't bug me or anything like that. Yay. Or anything like that. I'm going to talk about the Space Olympics now and get off track. So this was in like this was in the early 2010s. Actually, it was in the late 2000s, I believe, as well. It's when I first started teaching. And it's kind of like a physics Olympiad, but uh, it was a bit of everything, a cultural exchange, and everything was based around space exploration, space travel, uh, space technology and things like that. So the students would sit uh, a sort of Olympiadic style exam in maths, but the, the questions would be space related, you know, like uh, some kind of mathematical problem involving astronomy or something like that. Uh, there would also be a physics uh, exam as well, again, related to space technology and travel. It could be, for example, a problem about solar cells or you know, something along those lines. But then also, what they would have to do is they would have to give a presentation on an aspect of space as well that was judged, which was really, really cool, as well as uh, do a, uh, a creative writing exam about space. They were given the theme at the last minute. Basically, they would go into the tests, uh, go into the sort of like the, the Olympiad bit and be given the titles that they would have to write a creative short story piece about. Uh, and then obviously the scores would be aggregated. You would have a winner in certain categories. So a winner overall, for, you know, a winner in mathematics, an overall winner, winner for best presentation and winners by age category as well. Uh, it was really, really cool. And because I was teaching uh, in Leicester beforehand, we would use the National Space Centre in Leicester to give like workshops over the summer to the students that wanted to compete. And this was a competition between uh, many, many different schools, lots of Russian schools, obviously. But uh, the two years that I went there, there were schools from the States that came and competed, uh, schools from Greece that came and competed. Uh, obviously, uh, 
the several colleges that we all went as one group as like loads of different sixth form colleges from the Leicester area or like the UK delegation. Uh, I think there was a Ukraine. <laughs> I was going to say I think there's a Ukrainian team. I don't think they're welcome right now, but okay, <laughs> along those lines. But it was many, many different uh, things. It was genuinely international, and it was really, really cool. Uh, on top of that, though, the best thing was that there was a lot of cultural aspects put on. So this would be, I think, it was like a week long trip, if I remember. But what we would do is. Um, uh, so some of the days the students would have exams. The other days there would be like you know usual sort of dis you know olympiad stuff like a disco and all those kind of things but interspersed with that uh this would be just outside of moscow was where you compete in a city called korolev korolev is where russia's space industry is located it was purpose-built uh for during the space race uh it's where mission control is for the international space station but uh, one of the mission controls for the international space station the other one's in houston uh it's also where star city is uh which is where they get to where they train the cosmonauts so basically it's like it's like the equivalent, the American equivalent of Houston. That's the best way I can describe it. Uh, it's where the astronauts train. It's where the control centers are and things like that. There's a massive space museum that we got to see. We got to see real spacecraft that had landed. We got to see Yuri Gagarin's capsule, so the first person in space. We got to see Yuri Gagarin's capsule. And because this is Russia and it wasn't sealed off in some kind of perspex case or anything like that, like you might have seen in other museums with like some of the Apollo craft. I got to go right up and touch it. It was amazing. Uh, I got to see Alexei Leonov's capsule. Alexei Leonov was the first person to walk in space. We got to see his capsule. We got to see mock-ups of loads of different spacecraft, loads of different Soyuz and things like that. Mock-ups of the Mir space station, mock-ups, training mock-ups of the... Um, training mock-ups of the International Space Station. We got to go into Star City uh, and see like how the astro how the cosmonauts, I should say, sorry, train, how, you know, all of these kind of things. Uh, we also got to go to the Russian size of Mission Control, uh, where they have live link-ups with the International Space Station. And because there were so many students, they, we're talking about like 200 students here got to go in and sit down. They got to have a video call with uh, the cosmonauts and the astronauts on the International Space Station as well. Uh, basically, each country and probably each school got one person nominated that got to ask a question. So out of the 20 or so students that we took, I think one or two got to ask a question. But still, it was amazing because it was in real time and the, you know, the cosmonauts and the astronauts were there on the ISS bobbing about. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, but going back to the... Uh, to what Complex just texted in to say uh, in terms of did any of your students go out and get drunk? Uh, our students did take advantage of the fact that uh, in 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 uh, that our students did take advantage of the fact that they could easily buy some alcoholic drinks, and we had to had to have a bit of a chat with them. I think is the best <laughs> is the best uh, way to describe that as well. Um, but the Russians were amazing as well. They were absolutely incredible hosts. So I feel really bad. <laughs> about what's happening now. I hope they're all okay. Um, this was, again, about 11, 12 years ago. It was right when I was starting. Um, but the Rus the Russians are very... The Russian, like, organized... There was a delegation that was sent to look after all the foreign people, basically, to make sure we didn't get into trouble or anything like that. And every night from the six days, we would have a staff meeting. And, like, they would be very Russian. They'd be like, okay, staff meeting starts at 11 o'clock. It's like, what? 11 o'clock at night? I want to be asleep. We've got to get up at six to... You know, we're getting on a coach to go to X, Y, and Z. No, 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 staff meeting at 11. I was like, okay. And he was like, okay, so here's the plan for tomorrow. Okay, this has had to change, but boom, 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 boom. They would rush through the meeting, 
And then suddenly from two places, like two bottles of vodka would rock out of the place. All the students were in bed. All the students were asleep. We were nowhere near the students, but they would just be like trying to palm off vodka onto you to like toast and things like that. And I would have like a gentle sif and then just kind of like tip the rest into a plant or something like that just to make sure i was awake uh uh but yeah it's um it was a very different vibe as well it was a very different vibe i'd really i, I felt very uncomfortable with that when they were like trying to bust out vodka and things like that but it was really really cool as well at the same time uh so yeah okay let me see if i can show for the last time if I can play the news. If not, I'm going to have to leave it there, I'm afraid. So let's see if we can play the news one last time. And it's not working. So, uh, what a bummer. <laughs> I'm afraid. So that would have taken me to the end of the show. I'm going to leave it there. I'm sorry you can't catch the news or our commercial breaks. I really apologize for that. If you do want to catch the news, please do check out any of the other podcasts, uh, sorry, or any of uh, any of the live shows that have been podcasted on any of your podcasting apps of choice. Uh, Teachers Talk Radio is on uh, Amazon Music. I believe it's on Apple Podcasts. It is definitely on the podcast server, I, uh, the podcast thing I use, which is called Pocket Casts. So please just check any of our la previous shows from today because the news will be the same. It hasn't changed like so. But uh, thank you so much, everyone, getting involved. It's been a really fun show. I'm sorry about the technical difficulties. I'm really sorry I couldn't get the news to work. I have no idea what happened there. I've been clicking on it as normal, and nothing's happened. So I think Podbean, the server we're the service we're using to stream live stream these, was just not working. So apologies if you're listening back or have been listening back, uh, and just heard a lot of me going, "What? Why is this not working?" and things like that. Anyway, this has been the Late Late Show. Again, there's going to be no sign off credits because. <laughs> they're not playing so just imagine some very triumphant music imagine someone going this is the late late show with rich wrigley i will see you all this time next week <laughs>